historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Welcome to the Inside Israel podcast. Hundreds of Haredi Jews gathered at the Western Wall. They didn't come for prayer or study, but rather to block an attempt of women known as the Women of the Wall to hold their monthly prayers. The Israeli police, well aware of the potential violence, set up metal barricades and deployed in large numbers to hold back the Haredi men. The protesters yelled and screamed, blew whistles, and attempted to push past the police. However, the police were successful at pushing them back and maintaining order. For their part, the women carried empty mantles used to cover Torah scrolls to protest the prohibition on bringing the scrolls themselves into the women's section. The Women of the Wall group holds prayers at the Western Wall each Rosh Chodesh, which marks the beginning of the Hebrew month. In other words, they hold services once a month. The group's activities, such as the women praying with a Torah scroll, have long been opposed by the Haredi ultra-Orthodox politicians, and their prayers are regularly disrupted by heckling, protests, and occasional violence. In this last case, major violence was averted, they'll meet up next month. So first, let's quickly explain the phenomena of the Western Wall with four minutes of history. Known as the Wailing Wall, or the Kotel in Hebrew, the Western Wall is one of the last remaining walls holding up the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount, also known as Mount Moriah, was a site of both the first and second temples. It is the holiest site in Judaism in a place of pilgrimage and prayer. The holiness of the Western Wall derives from its proximity to the location where the ancient temples once stood. But the holiness is also derived from the fact that a small section of the wall was exposed for hundreds of years and hence enabled Jewish prayer since basically the year 1625. So for 400 years. Many people make the mistake of thinking that the Western Wall is the only remaining wall of the Second Temple itself. I'm not sure who began this rumor, since the Western Wall was never a wall of the actual temple, and it's not the only retaining wall. The Western Wall was built as a retaining casement wall holding up the natural hill, Mount Moriah, as well as a massive earth fill in creating a flat top of sort of a necropolis on which the Second Temple was constructed. Other retaining casement walls are the Southern and Eastern Walls, both also from the Second Temple era. The western, eastern, and southern walls created a huge rectangular structure topped by a flat platform, thus creating more space for the temple itself, its auxiliary buildings, and crowds of worshippers and visitors. So why aren't the southern and eastern walls holy? Why isn't there Jewish prayer at these walls? Well, the southern wall was covered by much earth collected over the past 2,000 years. It was difficult to reach it, It was excavated only in the 20th century, exposing findings from the Second Temple period, the Byzantine period, the Muslim, Crusader, and other eras. It now serves as an archaeological park. Prayers at the Eastern Wall weren't possible either, since the Eastern Wall is lined with a large Muslim cemetery from around the 8th century, when the Muslims first conquered Jerusalem. For a few years now, there has been pluralistic prayer, including bar and bat mitzvah services, at the southern end of the Western Wall. This area is also known as Ramses Arch, or the Davidson Center, 
and also Ezrat Israel, all three names. This area is unique and dramatic. One is able to walk on the first century street that is adjacent to the wall. The street was large and impressive. It was actually the main street of Jerusalem at the time, again, the first century. Everyone walked there, Jewish pilgrims, tourists, Jewish leaders, and many others. Today, one can see giant stones that fell from the walls of the Temple Mount as a result of the Roman destruction of the Second Temple in the year 70 of the Common Era. The stones landed on that same street. An enormous arch that was spread across the street and led to the southern part of the Temple Mount also fell on the street and caused a large crater. The destruction of the Jewish people and the loss of sovereignty of Judea 2,000 years ago is very apparent. I often recommend that families hold their B'nai Mitzvah ceremony at this site. I think there's no better place to witness the destruction and resurrection of the Jewish people. Imagine standing at a site that shows the aim of the Romans to make the Jews homeless and ultimately cause their assimilation and disappearance. And yet, it is the Romans that disappeared. Well, maybe they haven't fully disappeared, but at least they're having pasta and gelato in Rome. And we, the Jews, are holding B'nai Mitzvah ceremonies back in Jerusalem at the very site of the destruction. This area was destined to be an egalitarian prayer area according to the West Jewel plan. A plan that will allow egalitarian prayer in that same southern section of the Western Wall. To dig deeper and understand better, I've asked Yochi Rappaport to join us. Yochi Rappaport, the executive director of the Women of the Wall. Welcome, Yochi. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great honor. My pleasure. So let me first ask you to tell us about the organization called the Women of the Wall. Women of the Wall is a group of religious feminist women from all denominations. We also have men who support us, of course. And we gather together once a month, the beginning of the Hebrew month, on Rosh Chodesh, for 33 years now, each Rosh Chodesh, at the women's section of the Western Wall and pray. Our prayer service is also a demand that women, too, will be able to pray freely according to our tradition. And what we ask for is very simple. We call it the four T's. That's our goal. That women will be able to pray out loud, tefillah, with the talit, the prayer shawl, the tefillin, the phylacteries, and Torah, to be able to read out from a Torah scroll. Now, you just have to understand the biggest absurd about our organization is the fact that we're a group of Jewish religious women who are fighting for their basic right to pray at the holiest site for the Jewish people. Israel was established 74 years ago, almost, for the whole purpose of being the homeland for the Jewish people, to be able to pray together, that we won't have to hide our Judaism like we had to for 2,000 years in the Gula, in the diaspora. And yet, here we are, a group of women are fighting for their basic right to pray. Let me back up a little bit. And you said something about being an Orthodox woman and also feminist. I know that you were raised in an Orthodox environment. As you mentioned, you served as a commander in the Israeli Defense Forces. You identify again as an Orthodox woman and a feminist. Now, some Israelis, maybe even a lot of Israelis, consider that to be a contradiction in terms, being a feminist and an Orthodox woman at the same time. You're right. I grew up in Tzfat, the mystical city up north. Tzfat is a very peripheral, a very traditional, conservative, not with a capital C, city. For one who grew up in such a city, such an environment, for me, Judaism was one. It was Orthodox-oriented. And even the secular friends that I had were very much Orthodox. I mean, you have a bar mitzvah, you, you go to an Orthodox synagogue, the women sit in the back, 
Uh, for me, a synagogue was always women sitting in the back or on the side. I never saw a woman reading from the Torah, for instance. But then I started feeling that something is missing in my religious experience. And only when I joined the army, and I thought that I'm one of the only religious uh, young girls who are joining the army and seeing many religious young girls in my unit proved to me that there's something else going on in Judaism. My first shock in the army was when we stayed for Shabbat on base. We went, all of us, uh, we went to Kabbalah Shabbat. And we were, I think, about 30 women. And there were two men who joined us. And one of the soldiers, the female soldiers, turned to those two men and said, I'm leading Kabbalah Shabbat, okay? And she led it in such a harmony. She had a, such a beautiful, sweet voice. And then I fell in love. And I said, if something like that is possible, and I feel much more connected than the way I grew up, then I have to research this way. And then I started learning about how feminism and Judaism can actually go well together if you want to make the efforts. Now, I won't lie, sometimes it contradicts each other. And then I have to think to, uh, with myself, what's more important for me, feminism or religion? And it's a huge struggle. And oftentimes me being a woman who is feminist, um, it overrules me wanting to go according to religion. And it's a huge debate within uh, feminism. But if I want to stay connected to religion, and I love religion, I don't consider myself conservative or reformed because I'm loyal to halakha. And sometimes halakha, the Jewish law, hurts me. I admit it. It hurts my whole being. And there I have to see how in the form of halakha, how can we still find a way for me as a woman to feel that I have a place? You mentioned halakha. My question to you, and this is not a halakha question, why does Israel, which is a modern day state, ban the rightful women to pray at the Western Wall with a talit, a prayer shawl, as you mentioned, and a sefer Torah? I mean, it's nothing to do with halakha. Why does Israel ban that? So up until 2013, the law that the Kotel rabbi, who basically owns the Western Wall, he controls the whole Western Wall. He, he ruled in 1988 when he saw that this group of women who turned into women of the wall are coming to the Western Wall month after month and basically um, challenging the way that people prayed at the Kotel until then. So he created a law that says that no one can uh, pray in a way that contradicts local custom. And he said, look, everything they do is according to the Jewish law, the Jewish halakha. The halakha never said that women cannot pray in such a way. But the rabbi said, okay, so it's not against halakha, but it contradicts local custom. And this is the issue that we're facing today. By saying that local custom is his and the rabbi the former rabbi and the current one, of course, are Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox even. So he said, okay, if you don't pray in my way, you're violating the law. And the law says that there's only one way to pray, not because it's against halakha, because it wasn't custom that women pray in such a way. It wasn't custom once that women wore pants, for instance. But the beautiful part about customs and traditions are that they can change. And that's what the district court ruled in 2013, that women of the wall in our way of praying is part of local custom, meaning that by law, we can pray with our talit out loud. 
You can even read from the Torah. But unfortunately, their monopoly over religion is stronger than the law. And that's what we're fighting today. And you're fighting for your rights. As you said, you show up once a month with Torah scrolls. And I know that you were personally roughed up by the guards of the Western Wall after you try to bring a Torah scroll into the women's section. As I understand that the guards pushed you to the ground and tried to pull the Torah out of your arms. Yes. Now, it seems to me that much of the Israeli public does not see eye to eye with your cause for breaking the Orthodox monopoly of the Western Wall. Why do you think you aren't able to garner more support? Over the years, I actually see how we're gaining more and more support from the Israeli society. You have to understand that the Rashi Chodeshim, that we come to the wall, we're not able to bring in a Torah scroll because by law, we can't bring one in. So we have to smuggle it in. Meaning that even though we can read from the Torah at the women's section, we're missing the object. We can't bring the Torah in, so we have to smuggle it in. So what you were referring to, that month that we were able to smuggle it in, the guards tried to um, confiscate it out of our hands, and they used a lot of violence. I was physically hurt. The Israeli society looks at the Kotel as the Haredi Kotel. They see the Haredim, the ultra-Orthodox community, coming to the wall more than we come to the wall, for instance, women of the wall, or they're a secular community in Israel, and they don't understand why we're trying to fight their monopoly. The Kotel has become the symbol of the Jewish people, and it doesn't belong to one side or one stream. It belongs to all of us. There's a reason that the army goes there for ceremonies. There's a reason that Memorial Day ceremony takes place at the Kotel, because the Kotel is our symbol for Jews in Israel and in the diaspora. I actually see how we are gaining more and more support. And even though the Israeli society had enough with the monopoly over religion, the Kotel still is a challenge because they see the Kotel as theirs. So you mentioned that the Kotel, which is the Western Wall, of course, is a symbol, is a very strong symbol. And it seems that the previous government understood that too and tried to create some kind of Western Wall plan in which the southern part of the Western Wall will become an egalitarian part where people can pray as they want, women can read from the Torah, you know, etc. They actually ended up dropping it because of ultra-Orthodox parties that were opposed to it. The new government, which has no ultra-Orthodox parties, elected only a few months ago, vowed to renew the Western Wall plan, and yet they also now have put it, if you want, on the shelf. Why is that? So what you're referring to is the Kotel Agreement, the compromise that Women of the Wall agreed to in 2016 after negotiating it from 2013 up until January of 2016. And that agreement says that Women of the Wall will leave the women's section. We're leaving our dream. Our desire is to read Torah at the women's section. And yet for Shlombait, for the peace of the entire public, we were willing to leave the women's section to Robinson's Arch, the egalitarian section. Today, you have there what we call a sun deck. There is a temporary illegal plaza, by the way, that was built by Naftali Bennett back in 2013 was uh, the Ministry of Diaspora Affairs. Today, he's our prime minister. And it's very simple, the Kotel Agreement. It has a few um, elements to it. And the first one is to have a big entrance. Today, you go to the egalitarian section. It's very hard to reach because you don't even know how to enter the place, renovate the place, to turn it into a respectable plaza, an honorable one, one that will invite the public to come and pray there, have it accessible and touch the stones of the Western Wall. Uh, The government is going to fund this new plaza with a fraction of what the other plaza gets. 
but still government funding. And the most important thing is a joint committee with Women of the Wall, the Reforming Conservative Movement, led by the Jewish Agency. And we are going to be in charge of the place and not the rabbi of the Western Wall, who wants that place too to be Orthodox and the custom there to be Orthodox-oriented. This was passed by Netanyahu's government in 2016 with the agreement of the ultra-Orthodox parties. But afterwards, the public, the ultra-Orthodox public understood that it's not a matter of halakha or religion. It's a matter of recognition. And they will not allow a liberal-minded way of Judaism to be recognized in Israel. Again, they look at the Kotel as a symbol. If our way of praying will be accepted by the government of Israel, it means that Judaism can be different in Israel and they won't allow it. So they demonstrated and they pressured Prime Minister Netanyahu. And unfortunately, even though that this current government that we like to call the government of change promised us that you're going to deal with the Kotel Agreement, you're going to implement the Kotel Agreement. One of the first things that you're going to do is implement the Kotel Agreement. What happened then was Prime Minister Bennett, despite what he says, is afraid of the ultra-Orthodox pressure. He knows that the ultra-Orthodox parties are ganging up together with the Likud, and they announced that if the Kotel Agreement is going to be implemented... You're going to take out a million people and demonstrate. He's afraid. For now, he said, we'll work on it. My parliament um, secretary is working on it. And yet Shalom Shlomo, his parliament secretary, is not working on it. He promised us crumbs. He said, okay, we'll renovate a little bit here. No, we already compromised for the Kotel Agreement. Women of the Wall will not compromise again. We did it for Shlom Bait. The Kotel Agreement is the best solution for everyone. For the Haredim as well. They don't want us at the women's section. I understand their fear of seeing women praying in a different way. Give us a different plaza. Allow us to have our own place at the Kotel to pray equally. Yochi Rappaport, the executive director of the Women of the Wall, thank you so much for enlightening us. Thank you, Itai. 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people were stupid enough to wage a bloody civil war due to religious zealousy and hatred among brothers. Former Supreme Court Justice Michael Cheshin, may his memory be of blessing, had said the Western Wall is a remnant of our second temple and again it is a source of conflict. Can we not learn from the tormented history of our people? Inside Israel podcast can be accessed on our website www.insideisrael.fm It could also be accessed on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, and more.